0: The People get ready to explore in a way you never have before with the Defender 110. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design, a reimagined exterior, a robust interior, a superior off-road capability. The Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. It has powerful innovations like intuitive driver display. Whether you're headed to uncharted territory or just a weekend of exploration, the Defender 110 is up to the challenge. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Hey, look, I'm sure you take a lot of vitamins. Maybe you take a daily multivitamin. Maybe you take ones to boost your immunity or ones to help with alertness. What about your cells? Are you giving your cells the full nutrition they need, especially as we age? I am, thanks to Solgar. Solgar is part of my daily routine, thanks to their cellular nutrition line. Give yourself a daily collection of nutrients designed to help fight cellular decline and promote cell health. Visit cellularnutrition.solgar.com to learn more and use promo code Mark all one word, to get 20% off. Lock the gate! All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nick's? What's happening? How's it going? What day is it? Is it Monday? Yes, Martin Luther King Day. Martin Luther King's Day. Think about it. Think about what he represented. Think about what he talked about and how far we are away from it on some levels. Talking about stuff on stage that I don't talk about here. Trying to separate things. Trying to deal with the live element. I was at the Comedy Store uh, Night Before Last working on some stuff two nights ago. Chris Rock was there, sitting there in the back, watching me. Punky from SNL was there, hanging out. There was a time where that would be pretty intimidating, but I had already done two sets, and I was lit up. And uh, Chris actually uh, had a tag for me, helped me out with a tag. Tagged one of my bits. I'll try it. I'll let you know how it works. I'm not going to tell you the bit. If you want to see the bit, you can come see me. A lot of options. A lot of options. Tour kicks off this month in San Diego at the Observatory North Park on Saturday, January 27th for two shows. Then I'm in San Francisco at the Castro Theater on Saturday, February 3rd. That's sold out. Pretty sure. I don't know why we didn't add a second one. I don't know. Portland, Maine, I'm at the State Theater on Thursday, March 7th. Medford, Massachusetts, outside Boston, at the Chevalier Theater on Friday, March 8th. Providence, Rhode Island, at the Strand Theater on Saturday, March 9th. Terrytown, New York, at the Terrytown Music Hall on Sunday, March 10th. Atlanta, Georgia, I'm at the Buckhead Theater on Friday, March 22nd. Madison, Wisconsin, at the Barrymore again on Wednesday, April 3rd. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, at the Turner Hall Ballroom on Thursday, April 4th. Chicago at the Vic Theater on Friday, April 5th. And Minneapolis, I'm at the Pantages Theater on Saturday, April 6th. WTFpod.com slash tour. I got to bring this up too. We have another Ask Mark Anything episode coming up for full Marin subscribers. To ask a question, go click on the link in the episode description and submit your question on the Google form. We'll also put the link on the WTF social media pages. So that'll be fun. Ask me anything. Ask me some questions. Uh, Billy Joe Armstrong is on the uh, show today. He's the front man for the band Green Day. This year is the 30th anniversary of their breakout album, Dookie. It's the 20th anniversary of American Idiot. They're doing a global stadium tour this year to celebrate both. They're also releasing their 14th studio album, Saviors. You know... You hear about people in terms of reputation with interviews. But, you know, something happened at the beginning that locked us in. And uh, I don't know, I, I just got fortunate. I made some choices at the beginning in the conversation that I think kind of grounded him a bit. Because I don't know if you can tell, but sometimes if I'm pulling teeth, it's hard for an hour. So the night before last, uh, I, did, I didn't work I didn't do stand-up because I wanted to go see Paris, Texas at the newly renovated Egyptian theater in Hollywood. And Vim Vender's. the director, was going to be talking. And I had just seen that movie. I talked about it here. And I had a revelation about the movie and about movies in general that's been ongoing because I've been using movies, high and lowbrow movies, I don't think as an escape, but as a way to contextualize my feelings and also as a way to get out of myself, certainly uh, in the form of entertainment, but also to engage with art in an accessible way. I've seen many of the Oscar movies and they've kind of reinvigorated some part of my uh, younger self spirit in terms of Assessing art, and I joined American Cinematheque, which was a great idea because now I get you know the um, the announcements of what's going on, and they have several theaters here in L.A., and they're running all kinds of stuff. So I went to see Paris, Texas at the new Egyptian Theater with Kit, and it's stunning that theater. It's been around forever. Some of the first, I believe, maybe the first Hollywood premiere ever was at that theater. Seeing that movie on that size screen was great. Hearing them vendors talk about it afterwards was great. It's a very deliberate way of talking and he had some great stories. And just, you know, I come from a world of, you know, idolizing Sam Shepard's writing. You know, I come from a world where Harry Dean Stanton looms large as somebody who was part of a Hollywood that I revered and was curious about. Kit Carson, the writer who was married to Karen Black, who is also of that world of Hollywood that I found amazing. Their son... Uh, who plays Hunter, was spectacular. But just the weaving of possibilities of, of you know, what happened around that film and hearing Vim Vendors tell stories about, you know, Harry, Harry Dean Stanton's insecurity, Sam Shepard falling in love with Jessica Lang and sort of bailing on his commitment to how they were going to do the second part of the movie. It's all, it all means something to me. And it's not, I don't think it's, it means it's not nostalgia. The other thing that was interesting is there was discussion about the music and how someone asked a question from the audience about the Americana nature of the Rai soundtrack. And it's like, that wasn't even a label of a type of music until later. And vendors was like, there was no Americana music at that time. No one had ever done a soundtrack like that. And you realize just how many people ripped off Rai And he said that anytime it happened, Rye would get upset and call him and say, like, should I sue that guy? I mean, that... That sound, that opening riff of the Paris, Texas soundtrack has been ripped off and used everywhere. Commercials, other movies. It was a grand, groundbreaking movie, cinematography-wise. And it, it just, it was enriching. And I just, you know, there are times where I'll leave a discussion. But I wanted to learn. And there are things that I learned about his process. And as I think about directing a film, it's important for me to hear that stuff. Anyway, I guess in light of horrible things in the world, things that I have no control over, things that I can barely speak to because of the polarization of everybody, you know, everybody wants their voice to be represented by another voice, by a public voice. And everything is so polarized. And there's no talking to the other side. You don't even know who the other side is anymore, but there's no there's no kind of navigating, there's no diplomacy, there's no negotiating. You know this is the bubble, this is my bubble, whatever you are. and it's a it's a sad thing, ultimately, and will be the the death of democracy, if not the world. But I think that engaging in art is is fine for me, and sometimes engaging in not art. I never watched the John Wick movie until the other night. I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know what's happening. But I watched the first John Wick movie without knowing what it was about. And I couldn't even get over that dog being murdered. A lot of people get murdered in that thing. But I'm telling you, the dog, for no reason, a puppy, Jesus, fuck. They all had it coming. Whoever was attached to killing that puppy. I don't know if I watch more John Wick movies, but I watched that one. All right, you guys. So Billy Joe Armstrong is here. That first Green Day album I thought it was great, Dookie. I remember when it came out, and there was some there were some people that didn't think it was great. There were people that I thought should have thought it was great, but didn't think it was great. But you know, they've certainly gone on to define a sound and to to honor their legacy and to and if and you'll hear in my conversation with Billy Joe to to sort of honor his heroes and they uh you know they're pros, man. They fucking put it out there. They rock very hard. And it was great to get to talk to them. Uh the new Green Day album Saviors comes out this Friday. Get it wherever you get music and this is uh I took I took a, a bold choice at the beginning of this interview and it uh it paid off. Yeah, I don't you know, I I I guess I got Like, I'm no great guitar player, but I got hit the juniors later. Like, I, it probably, in when I got that thing, was it maybe 2016? Because uh, I got sort of uh, obsessed with Johnny Thunders. Yep. That tone. Yep. Because, like, and also, that thing is tuned to Open G. I took the E string off. Uh, And you can just, it sounds just like Keith. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's all you have to do. Yeah. To play all those songs. I had no idea.
1: And I'm I'm 60. And yeah. I just figured that out. Maybe yeah, two years ago. Yeah, we me our, uh, me and my friends. We have a cover band. Yeah, what's that one called? It's called um, the Cover Ups. Yeah, and we just kind of play local stuff, but we do we play happy. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's all that open G weirdness, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, but then you have to learn how to do the slide stuff that, Mick um, Taylor did. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, then do do do. So how are you with that open tuning stuff? Oh, I, I just, I just kind of fake it as much as I can. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's all you have to do, really, if you want. <laughs> if you, want you could just
0: sound oak, like, can't you hear me knocking? Is all the fucking open tuning. Yeah. And for my entire life, I was like, that seems impossible. Yeah. And then when you do that it, with the P90, it's it, like crazy. Yeah. It's right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't play it great. But it I know where it is, right <laughs> <laughs> so what the, so how's it been going? Where do you live? you live around here or you live up in the bay area still? I live in the
1: bay Area, up, yeah, up in Oakland still, yeah, really, mm-hmm. you stayed up there or you've been around i I'm there, it's my my home it yeah, always yeah. has been, yep yeah well, yeah, yeah i mean i I grew i mean, I was born there and grew up in um like East Contra Costa county, which is like Richmond, yeah, oh yeah, and um, and by a town called um, Rodeo,
0: Rodeo, yeah. I lived in the Bay Area briefly. I did comedy up there for a couple of years, and uh, I used to go out and do gigs in different parts of the Bay Area, Walnut Creek.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. West, that's West Cocoa County. Yeah, that was the uh, the punchline, Walnut Creek. <laughs> yeah. That's that's part of my past. Yeah, that's going through the the. It's like the Caldecott Curtain, Caldecott Tunnel, right there. You yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, oh shit, I'm in Concord. Concord. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But
0: like the the area you
1: grew up in, what was it mostly inhabited by? Um, it's well, it's kind of like there was like there was like three towns that are sort of connected. And yeah. it's like Rodeo, Crockett, and Port Costa. And a little tiny town, like a one-lane street called Tormy. But um, it's like it was all refinery. Yeah. And it's like, a, um, oh, what do you call it? What do you call it when it's um, a town that's not a town that kind of just belongs to the county? Like a township? It, it, or a... Unincorporated. Ah, yeah, okay. Unincorporated. Yeah. Unincor- yeah. <laughs> so it was small. Yeah, really small. And like, because
0: uh, I, I mean, I, I didn't, I never really got a handle on the Bay Area in general. San Francisco seemed always seemed complicated. I never knew which way I was going, or which was south or east or west. I know nothing
1: about San Francisco. I mean, I grew up on, and it's like I'm East Bay, but right. as soon as you get past, like, the the bridge right there, I'm like, I don't know where the hell I'm at. Yeah, and
0: I yeah. lived there for, like, two years, and I never quite figured out what was happening there. Yeah. But you're close to Oakland. Yeah. 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 And there was, like, when you came up, I can't remember, did, were you and my buddy Jack Bolware's book? Did he talk to you about that East Bay punk scene book?
1: Um, ever, was it give, give Me Something Better? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I talked to him. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. It was a good book.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was
1: very specific. Yeah, yeah. But what,
0: so... How do you come up? Like, well, what you come from a big family?
1: Yeah, one of six,
0: and you're the youngest. Yep, and that's uh, that's not easy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was like <laughs> last one out of the house. Yeah, yeah, it was like the I'm like the youngest is always the afterthought, you know. <laughs>
0: but I mean, but geez, you had like you probably had uh, like siblings who
1: were in their 30s by the time you were 18, right? Oh yeah my my oldest brother Alan was born in 1950. Wow, so he's um, going to be seventy three this year, and that's um, crazy, isn't it? it? It's wild. It's wild. Yeah. I Do you mean, have a
0: relationship with the guy?
1: Yeah, 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 good one. All yeah. of them, all the sibs. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that. Yeah, and we, um, it was a like, you know, uh, it was a pretty wild and kind of gregarious sort of family atmosphere where everybody was like had big personalities big jokesters and oh like, really yeah kind of yeah it was it was it could be really fun but it was a lot of chaos too yeah <laughs> how many, so you have two brothers i have two brothers and three sisters oh my god it's just and like, th- th- the, was there a time where everyone was in the house um no my oldest brother was out but there was five of us that yeah were in the house yeah and what your parents just kept wanting kids or was it, was it? i i don't know like my well my the oldest brother is a half brother and who was who was your dad's um and then all the rest were my, were my dad's yeah so we had we have different fathers but we were always very close right um and then they you know i don't think they thought they could have kids and then it was like cuz they got married i think right around in 1958 yeah and then it was like Boom! 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 <laughs> they just had kids with a vengeance. They were like, "We can, and we're going to do it." Yeah, yeah. I mean, we cross generational lines. You know, we went. It's like when my mom has Boomer, a one Boomer, and like all Gen Gen Xers, Gen Xers after that. So, what,
0: oh, it's, when were you born? Seventy-two. Because I got. I think I'm the last Boomer. Sixty-three. I think yep. that was it.
1: Yep, that's the cutoff.
0: But I think I'm more Gen X. I don't yeah. think—I I don't have any association with boomers. It's all nostalgia. Yeah. You, you know, like, I didn't—I grew up and everything had already happened.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You, you know, you're
0: in high school and it's like, is this new? No, it's 1972, this record. Yeah. Oh, my God.
1: I was eight. <laughs> yeah. I would well, never
0: registered that.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, like, the, the great thing about discovery. You know? Yeah. It's, like, you can— um you know, the records that feel like they were made yesterday were made like 50 years ago.
0: I know, it never, it, there, it, everything is always now. You, it, it's weird with the internet. There's no real historical context. But with music, it's always been like that. And some music is dated and some music never gets dated. I don't know why that is. Like for some, like you ever listen to Neil Young and just realize like this could happen anytime.
1: Yeah, because he's, it sounds like a band in a garage p- playing together. Right. You know, and um, that, no, and he doesn't fuck with the production much. No, he just kind of put puts it all like put levels it out, and but he's like a he's definitely uh, a sonic geek. Yeah, for you know, sure, big time.
0: That riggy, like I talked to him, and that riggy seems to play it through on the stage. Sounds like it could break at any minute.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> what well, he's he plays a, a Black Beauty through a Fender Deluxe. I think is uh, Nick is. Uh, that is you Neil know, Young's like a, weapon of choice. The
0: Fender, A big Fender Deluxe, like late 50s or what? Or...
1: I think, well, no, it's not even a Fender. No, it's, maybe it's a, yeah, Fender Deluxe. Because that's There's...
0: a 53 Deluxe and they're tiny. And then they seem to have gotten bigger.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably the like one of the blackface ones. And
0: isn't that He has like a, yeah, it's a Deluxe, right? But it's got a black top on it. He, for some it, reason,
1: he plays. It's a it's um, a Les Paul, but they called it the Black Beauty. Oh, it is black. Yeah, so it's got the two um, uh, p nineties yeah. in it, but it was like I don't. And it, I think they made those around fifty six, fifty seven.
0: So, so when you were growing up, is there a lot of music now? So are you getting stuff
1: passed down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it was funny. I was looking at a. Um, a picture the other day with my oldest brother yeah and he was he is me him sitting on a couch and i have headphones on and magical mystery tour album covers yeah, right there. yeah <laughs> and then um you know my my other sisters were you know one wasn't really into like journey and El. my mom my that's mom that's a bay area band i think journey, yeah they used to play the uh, um day on the green at oakland coliseum every year so your your sister's probably my age what is she 60 Born in
0: 63. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we couldn't avoid Journey in high school.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there
0: was, and not until senior year, and then all of a sudden, I don't know, Van Halen 1 happened, and everything seemed to shift. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, what a great record. No kidding, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I just remember the parking lot, just uh, just like Camaros with
1: doors open,
0: and Jensen triaxles blasting Eruption.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny, like, two of the first records I ever bought was For Those About to Rock by AC/DC and, um, uh, fair warning by Van Halen. Yeah. And it's crazy because it was like people, like people always thought of like, I guess it's like on the, because of on the cover of highway to hell. That yeah. Like ACDC was more of like the devil band and like, you know van halen was more of like the pop happy band yeah but and i put both records on but when i heard the beginning of mean streets and the way that he plays that guitar solo at the beginning yeah i was like that sounds like he just like the demons from hell are rising right now right and it's like i felt like i was being possessed or something like i had a like a yeah crazy reaction how to old were you I was like nine. Really? Yeah. And so that that kind of wired your head? Yeah. That, that I'm like, it's like to this day, I still, when I listen to that solo, it just like blows my mind. Well, I think they were driven by, like, I talked to David Lee Roth
0: uh, and tried to hold that together for an hour. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I did all right. <laughs> but it's weird that, y- you know, the... Those guys, those Van Halen brothers, I think were were fueled with a lot of anger. You, you mm-hmm. know, and a lot of like it's it's a very odd thing when you realize the biggest metal band in the world was, you know, two Asian guys and a Jewish guy. Yeah. And yep. and just it sounds like their uh growing up was just hard as fuck. And that they just like you know, few, you know, just driven in a way that like uh, I mean, no one can play guitar like that to this day. No one can play drums like that
1: either. I know it's crazy, yeah. right? Yeah, it's like if you if you really listen to those records, you can just hear them. You can hear them trying to. I don't know, not trying to outdo each other, yeah. But like Alex was always up for going head up with Eddie, yeah. You know the way that he he played drums when the way and and the guitar licks and stuff you could tell that those guys had literally been playing their mu- music together their entire lives since they were like
0: ever yeah well yeah. i mean that's the same with you guys basically a couple of you
1: yeah me and mike we've we met in that god the f- fifth grade yeah and we were in the same class and we've been friends ever since and playing together ever since yeah i mean we we really started playing in, when we got to about the uh, 7th grade is yeah. what. It, but, but we always like seemed to talk about it and dream about it until like mike got his sort of chops up on guitar and i you know cuz i already knew how to play and yeah. then, you know one one um one day we i was like bring your guitar over and he brought it over and we were in the 7th grade and we learned how to play together ain't talking about love Crazy Train, yeah, and oh my God, it was like Heaven's on Fire by Kiss. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and Photograph, Def Leppard.
0: Oh, Def, Le- Def Leopards. Oh, yeah. I was thinking Ringo Stars, which yeah. I love. But so when you're
1: like a, a kid, it's all hard rock. Yeah, pretty much. It was like, you know, like I really liked a lot of the like hair metal bands in the very early 80s. Like, you know, I liked Motley was big for me, Rat. Stocking. um really yeah i i love it's like and van halen was really big but i wouldn't put them in that really in that category but i was um you know the stuff that they were first starting to, to play on mtv that was like m- like more guitar heavy driven stuff at the at like i would say right around 80 yeah. it's a short time because it got cheeseball real fast but it, i would say before like it's like 83 to 85 that yeah. was like that was um some great stuff that came out, and you were like ten. Yeah, I was eleven through about thirteen, fourteen. Did anyone else in your family play? Yeah, my brother Dave, he was a drummer. So, yeah. and like I think at one time we thought we were going to be like the Van Halen brothers. Yeah, and <laughs> fell away. Yeah, and my sister Anna was a huge music fan. Love like like she's just kind of like you know like obsessive about uh, you know she went from like. Listening to Fleetwood Mac, and she took me to go see. In this, it's funny. Then, it's like, the, my first concert was Van Halen, and like my third was REM. Yeah, and they played in a um like a high school gymnasium in Santa Cruz. Really? Yeah. So that was like '85 or something on the Fables of the Reconstruction tour. That that small venue. Yeah, they weren't that big yet. I mean, they. I think they maybe played the Berkeley Greek. A couple nights before, or it's weird that you come up in like in a time where there were
0: definitely two really different things happening and where music was going. Because, like, you know, the Van Halen, the hard rock thing, it evolved a bit here and there, but then the REM thing was this whole other world.
1: Yeah, it well, it's like the the metal thing was definitely like kind of like a party. And when I saw REM, I was like, oh, this is like serious. You know, and there's a lot of heart and go, going on into it in a different way I'd ever experienced before. More emotion. Yeah. And then that's when everything started to switch for me going to. That's like, I saw the replacements when I was like 15. Where'd you see them? I saw them um, at the Fillmore with, it was their first tour without Bob, Bob Stinson. He had uh, lost his
0: mind or he wasn't dead yet, obviously. But.
1: No, they, I think they, he left the band and then um, that's when they got Slim to play. And that was a big show for me too, because it was just like, it was not, God, what tour was that? Um, please, Him, to me, please, no, please to meet please me. Please to meet me. Yeah. So it was like that. And then gradually I started getting more and more into, oh, Husker Du was like a massive influence on me. Yeah. and And then like, it's weird because it was like I went from like, these midwestern kind of punk rock alternative bands, and then like, then sort of the seventies, like um, late late seventies British punk rock bands.
0: Like, who were who were your guys? Like, was it because it seems like early on, it, it's your your singing style's changed,
1: mm-hmm. I think,
0: over time. Mm-hmm. But it seemed early on it was pretty influenced by the Brits.
1: I just always happen to sound like that. I, yeah. You know, because early on it was really like those Midwestern kind of bands. Husker
0: Du, Replacements.
1: Yeah. And then like, you know, it was really funny. I was, uh, Green Day, we put out our first 7-inch, you know, when it was like in 80, 89 and um, so, and the there was this magazine called Ben is Dead and they reviewed it. Yeah. And they were like, these guys are nothing but a fifth rate buzzcocks. Buzzcocks. And, and then I was like. Who are the buzzcocks? <laughs> so I, I like I went out and bought uh, singles going steady, but I'm like these guys are great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so you've been like they've been
0: busting your balls forever about that kind of stuff.
1: Um. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's like, and we were really uh, melodic and uh, way more poppy than like the hardcore bands that were sort of like post hardcore. After yeah, that. because you you were adding all those, like, you know,
0: there's like more than three chords. There's yeah. a, you know, there's a fifth and a sixth chord, some minor, some Beatles chords in there. Yeah. And it was always, it always felt poppy. But I mean, that must be the replacements, right? In a way, in terms of influence or the Beatles.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they were writing like more heart from the heart, kind of heart, not saying that. Hardcore is not from the heart, but this is a different thing where they're not afraid to write like a, a ballad and yeah. put it on on their and it's like something that is so like more vulnerable. Yeah, um, and you know, and then you know, obviously the Beatles were are huge to me too. So, yeah, um, your Stones guy too.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can I can listen to them all the time. Mm. Still, yeah. it's
1: odd. Yeah, and I like the new record. I think it's really good.
0: There's a couple of great stone songs on there.
1: Yeah. It's like, uh, if you can get one or two off of any of the later records, you're doing good. Totally. <laughs> I think, you know, one of my, my favorite Stones re- records is um, Emotional Rescue. It's a great record. Yeah. I think it's, com- uh, like, a a little bit overlooked. Could yeah, come- there's there's a few of them that are kind of overlooked. Even Dirty Work, there's a couple of good stone songs yeah, on totally. there. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I go on a deep dive a lot, like, that when I, there's any... that maybe aren't, you know, kind of, are the stuff that's not on the classic records that, like, you know, like, I'll go, okay, there's gotta be good good songs somewhere. Yeah. It's that that way for the Ramones, also, where it's like, you know, you have those first five records that were perfect. Right. And then later, for me, you're like, you have to get really sort of selective of, like, oh, that, and it's, it's like they kind of lost a little bit of passion for making a complete album. Right. You know, and so, but there are, like, these songs on there that you're like, oh, my God, it's a great song. You yeah, know? so when
0: do you guys get it together and start, I mean, what, like, you're very busy. You seem like to get, you get a lot done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we do, but it takes a long time, you know, for, to make an album, it's, uh, I mean, it's been a crazy past couple of years because one we were making an album but we had all these postponed dates that were because of COVID. Yeah. Um so we were on the Omega tour in 21 and 22, but in between time, you know, I'd been you know, I'd been writing a lot and we were wanting to go into the studio again. We had like a like a batch of songs and so like we went to we actually went to London and recorded out of the country for the first time. Really? Yeah. For this new album? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And when you were starting out, I mean, what was going on like you were the youngest kid, so did you just have
1: you know more freedom than the other ones? Could you just go jam and just you know did you, what was I I mean, I definitely it's like if you put look up latchkey kid in the in the fo- in the in the phone book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're going to yeah, find man. my number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um yeah, I was, you know, definitely my, my mom, you know, my dad passed away when it, when when I was 10. So That's she, young. Yeah. So when she she worked a lot, she she was, what a wa- was she? she was a waitress. Really? Yeah. So she worked at a twenty four hour place. So she would get the graveyard shift sometimes, and so it left me. Did she remarry? Uh yeah, uh, yeah. She remarried once, and I, I, I had a, he was a pretty cool dude. I, I actually liked this. His name was Sam. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought you know. Uh, my sisters hated him. Yeah, but I, I, I thought he was. Me and my my brother thought he was cool. But, yeah. What did he do? He was a pipe fitter. And what did your dad do? He drove a truck. Yeah. And, he, and he was a drummer also. He drums.
0: Yep. What kind? I mean, what kind of music? Jazz. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So you had that in the house, or you don't remember?
1: I, you know, he would have gigs with like going, playing out with, um, you know, he had these guys that like I remember them jamming and the, like. There was one guy that came, he played trumpet and he had I it was like he I was really young but he had one big shoe. Like I don't know I didn't know what like what, what was I, but uh, I used to we used to go see him play like it's like It's
0: a funny kid memory. That's yeah. what you're going to remember
1: when you're like 9. Yeah, the guy the with the tr- the one, a trumpet and a big shoe. But um <laughs> I would uh I would um see him play and um um it, it was fun, like so one of my like earliest memory music memories is him you know his band playing watermelon Man by herbie Hancock and oh yeah and like going, like that's an interesting name for a song you know, so to be ten
0: and your dad passes away, that must have been horrendous,
1: yeah, yeah it was it still has an effect I mean he he's got a pretty big spirit, you yeah, know? yeah, it's uh you know my my uh I think it. What it it it. Um, for me, it's just like I'm always digging for information. Like about him. About him. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's like you know, looking up um old family portraits or sure. You know, so he would. I mean, he would be like 95 or so 94 now? now. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, how did he die? Um, cancer, the esophagus. Oh. So it was fast too. It was like he got he got diagnosed and then he died 3 months later. Do you
0: think like looking back on it having been a guy that like is obviously still sort of searching, right? Mhm. Do you do you find that 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 experience that grief or that void it drove you to music?
1: Um I I think so. You know, it um I you know, it's like it it plays out in different ways like You know, like I, if like me and like having this search of like what he had left behind, sure, his legacy, and I think, I think about my own legacy with my, you know, I I think it really with songs. Yeah. It's like being kind of like a a journal I've been writing for the past 30 years of different tunes. They're that personal mostly? Yeah, it gets really personal. Because,
0: like, even on the new record, there's that song. What is it? Father to the Fa- son.
1: Yeah, father to a son. Yeah. I mean
0: that. You know that in the in the midst of this. You know, a pretty. I mean, it's a heavy record in some places, but some of it's lighter than others. But all of it's pretty, um, pretty uh, emotional. But that that seems like a very mature song.
1: Yeah, I think it, it's kind of trying to reflect on, like, you know. I, I didn't know... I had I had kids when I was young, pretty young, so my, uh, I've been married for almost 30 years, so... Really? I, yeah, so... That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I got married when I was 22, and then we had a kid, our first son, immediately after. So, and I, man, I had no clue of what I was doing. How old were you? I was 22. Oh, that's crazy, dude. Yeah, and my wife was 24. Wow. Yeah, so... And we went, we just... It's it's we had um, our wedding, which our like it was before I had any money, so it was kind of BYOB. Like what album it has was it before Dookie? It was like when Dookie like kind of first came out. Okay, it had been out for like a few months, so. so something was happening. I
0: mean, there was hope on the horizon career wise.
1: Yeah, we had like um, I think like Basket Case was the for was the, the the single that was out. Yeah, and, and it seemed like. Okay, like this is this is going well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now you got a kid. And now, but, well, not yet. He came like three <laughs> months later. Yeah, nine nine months later. So,
0: so like, how do you handle that? I mean, was there a moment? Did you did you know you were going to lock in for the long haul? I mean, were that were you that kind of guy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh. Yeah, as a father or as a <laughs> in general, as yeah, a husband,
0: yeah. as a father, you were like, well, this is it. This is life.
1: Well, that yeah, that was the plan, you okay. know, for you know, obviously it like, you know, it's a roller coaster ride, but, Sure. Um I mean with the band, I, it was like um I think it, it I was already trying to think about like what we're going to do next, you know, ap, you know, even like after you finish an album, you're like it's it's always kind of circling in the back of my mind. Like, okay, shit, what what's going on what do we how do we follow that? What do we
0: you know with the records, but also with the kid, I imagine. Yeah,
1: yeah, we had another one. So.
0: <laughs> how what's the time the uh, year difference between them?
1: Uh, they're like three years apart.
0: Yeah. So, but getting back to the song um, on the new record, uh, father, what is it? Father to the son, father to a son, and to a son. Yeah. Now is this sort of a bridge between
1: you and your father
0: and your kids? I, I think, mean, where did it come from?
1: I think it comes from just, like, trying, you know, like, not knowing what I was really doing and, be, you know, being, like, a uh, someone that was just—there was no playbook on how to do it, but doing the best I can, making a lot of errors on the way, um, and— Having moments where you knew exactly what to say at the right time, and you go, "Oh my god, I can't believe that just came out of my mouth!" Right? You know, yeah. You know, it's like all the history. You know, I was like a little league baseball coach, and I coached soccer with them. And um, but this
0: is something you missed in your own life, I imagine. I mean, who stepped in? I mean, did Sam step in, or did you just really raise yourself or your mom?
1: We, my mom. You know, Sam was just kind of like. You know, he was there, but yeah. not like a, you know, but my, my older, my, my brother Dave, oh, right. had the older he, I old, and I had a lot of older siblings, yeah. so they kind of rallied around, you know, me, Yeah. but, you know, it was, it got like, I was kind of like, just get, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> you yeah. Know? You know, there's no way that- you're like, angry. Yeah. little, yeah. And like, there's no way that a, you know, a, a 13-year-old brother is going to be able to father a 10-year-old. What about the one that's really older? He was good. Yeah, he, he, yeah. He he had his own family and stuff like that. By at that, that time, yeah. Oh wow. So I was an uncle when I was eight. But he had. But there was
0: some some structure at least uh, around like you. Your brother had a family. You were part of a family that was still kind of together.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't. Say, I wouldn't say structure. Mm. I, I just think it was like because it was. um, It was there was. All the chaos that kind of was going from, you know, my sister having boyfriends and in yeah. and out. And then, of course, you know, all there was a lot of um, um, addiction going on. Really? And, and stuff like that throughout. Yeah. Where does that
0: come from? Is it family or just um, it just kinda happened?
1: It just kind of happened. It happened. I mean, it's weird. It's like kind of happened to my whole family. <laughs>
0: but, all, like all my brothers and sisters. <laughs> really? But you can't track it to a grandfather or anything?
1: Um, I think I could probably try. Yes, I can. Yeah. My, my (laughs) grandfather was, uh, was, um, um, he, he's from Oklahoma and Uh big drunk. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I had uncles back then that were, you know, but I think they were like a lot of World War II vets. On your mom's side? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's wild. It's like a real American story you've got going here. A real working class American story that you come from. Yeah. 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 It's huh? not, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's like, because when you hear these stories, when you hear about, like, a mom who's, like, a waitress at a 24-hour place, that must have been just the most draining, exhausting fucking thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I get making tips. I remember putting, like, helping her, uh, Mike was also, we'd be, at the t- we'd be at the table, and, like, there was those little, like, circular om- envelopes. Yeah. yeah. My, my 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 bandmate. Yeah. And we, you know, like those. Remember those? Yeah, the, the little cylinders. The little cylinders, yeah, yeah. and you would stick quarters yeah. and nickels. Sure. And so um, that w- that was her tips. Yeah. You know, so, wow. but uh, she, yeah, she 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 bought me a guitar with it. So what kind? First one. Um, my first guitar was a HONER Les Paul. So it was just like a co- you a know copy, ja- yeah. ja- Japanese copy of a copy. So yeah,
0: yeah. And that's, uh, so you learned on electric. Yeah. Yeah. So having that sort of fuck you-ness or that anger about the state, I mean, when you were first starting out playing, I mean, did you, that must be why you gravitated to that sort of the intensity of the music. Because like your music, I mean, all of it, all the way through, you, you can't not move to it. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Dancing is a big deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah.
0: it just ha- – it always has, like, you know, whether it's at build or whether it's at, you know, the chorus. It always – like, it, it definitely – you know, there's emotion to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think when I started going – to there was a club that I started going to called Gilman Street. That was um, an all-ages venue. It was a, a volunteer run. And the first time just seeing people – it wasn't, like – it was a lot more kind of these kind of ragamuffin sort of like like kids that were uh kind of running it and had their bands and doing fun things like bringing emptying a dumpster and a garbage can. So this was like American punk early. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that that's something that always stuck with me is like, you know, how what the intention is always about having. You have all the intensity of like the lyrics and the personal stuff, but you also have this playfulness that it's like when you're playing in front of fifty thousand people, and it, you know it's like I'll look at Mike and I'll be like, "Isn't this a fucking trip? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is like, th- who knew? You know, that this is so weird. You still, know, this happens still. Yeah, sometimes like you know, it's like we're like, man, all right, let's. Uh, Let's all right. Let's let's go for it. Yeah, but it's sort of amazing that
0: like when you do come from where you come from, like from the beginning, there was no one was going to
1: save you. There was no fallback. No, nothing. Uh, you know, I I I dropped out of high school um, right around uh, in in the twelfth grade. Uh, Mike stayed in, and we booked a tour starting the day after Mike graduated from high school.
0: And and like, what would was that back in the day where you have to stay at fans' houses and it was like fanzine culture and and you'd have to you know get promotions at these all all ages places that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it was the best way. Could you even play bars then? No, we we used to play like every once in a while we'd play a bar or an eighteen and over, right? And we'd have to stay outside, right. And that's what happened to us. We played Rajis in L.A. and we we sat like sat in the outside. And they're like, "All right, come in." (laughs) And we go and play. They're like, "Get out!" Really? (laughs) So yeah. And they would uh, pay us outside. So, but yeah, these were like these tours were all like run by you know like in. Like this guy, Terry in uh, South Dakota, he booked us out there and he put we were at like it wasn't a a vet's hall, but it was it was like some kind of lodge. Yeah. Or we would do backyard parties and we would do garages, but it was all run on a scene. And and it was a great I, I would never trade that time ever. It didn't feel like hard work to me. It felt like I was living my life. And the way that I wanted to and all the people like when you go on tour and you stay at someone's house after and you end up with like meeting cool people. And some of these people are are my friends to this day. Yeah. That day back to 30 years ago. Wow. I mean, that's what happened with Jason White, who is our guitar player. He comes with us on tour. I met him in 1990. And he booked our show in in Little Rock, Arkansas, at a place called Vino's. Wow. And that was in 91. And he, uh, yeah, he's one of my best friends to this day. So who was on, like, in terms of that scene in the Bay Area, who
0: was around? Because I, from what I hear, I mean, you guys got pretty popular pretty quickly in that scene, right? You were a force to be reckoned with.
1: I think so. I mean, like, it would be like, like, Cause we just kind of played everywhere around, so we play in like we play like we almost had like a, a like a little tour we would do. We would play like Gilman. A couple weeks later, we would play the, the Phoenix Theater in Santa Rosa, or then we would play like a house party in Benicia. Yeah, and so it was like we had like little pockets where, like you know. And we were pretty big in Petaluma, yeah, and then some you know Gilman we would either pack it out or there'd be sometimes times or it'd be half full um but w- I mean the other bands like like uh, the, the local scene was really important for us, you know? who were they well, the band that really stands out to me was this band operation Ivy. yeah who became um became rancid, okay, and um and then there is you, know, you work with that guy the other armstrong yeah yeah yeah, yeah. tim tim's great he's yeah. he's a good friend of him. brother tim yeah. i call him brother tim he calls me brother billy uh, so we uh so like w- w- those guys were really like the they packed out gilman and was really important band and another band isocracy who the drummer in that band became played with us for a couple years yeah and then there was like Crim Shrine, and then and then there was the fanzines also. It, it like this band, this one Comet Bus, another one called Absolutely Zippo. But so we were, I mean, I think what we put out our first album on Lookout Records, and then it was like we were, you know, we were kind of medium size. And then by the time we got to our, our record Kerplunk, is when you could really that came out in like, late 91, it was, yeah. it was, like, then you could tell that things were, were happening, and yeah. came, we were selling pl- clubs out everywhere.
0: And how did, uh, how did Dookie come to, in existence? Because I remember, that's the one, I, I mean, I was old already, kind of, I remember I was in Boston, and, because I remember it coming out, and it, it, it was
1: everywhere for a bit. Yeah, it, um, we, we recorded it in Berkeley, um, and uh um it was like you know we took this gamble of going from a very small independent label yeah that going to warner brothers yeah you know so it was uh you know we wanted to have like bigger production and sound but not well, something that we're going to be able to live with for the rest of our lives right um as far as sound and not have like a like an empty echoey snare drum sure Um, so it was, uh, was that the first record you did with Rob? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Rob Cavallo. Yeah. Yeah. So how important is that? Because you were with him for like a lot of records. How much input does a producer have in terms of, you know, in conversation about what you want to sound like?
1: I think it's a few different things like sonic sonically like how to get like the best guitar sound and how to get the best drum sound and you know and and that like makes it like sound like big and green like green day yeah and then i think there's a another way of with him where he he would we would talk about the lyrics and what are is the deeper meaning that's going on inside of the song and you had answers for that For the most part, I mean, but it was like, I don't know if you'd really call it answers, but it would be sort of more of like, you know, what, just how it makes you feel. Yeah. uh, How to, you know, what, what, what's the deeper meaning? Why would you say that? Yeah. Why, you know. um, Really? Are are you sure you want to say that? Really? Yeah. Do you have something else you want to say? So he was trying to, uh, assuming
0: when you're in a studio, it's different than a live environment. So you're going to do more than one take. Right, so he was somehow trying to plant the emotions in you, so you could repeat it.
1: It was—I wouldn't say—he hmm, would like we would do do takes, and you know, if I if I was on a roll, then I just keep going. Yeah, and he would he would he would be he would stay out of the way. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I did the vocals on Dookie, I think all, all in like two days or oh, something ro- like really? that. So, but I mean, now the way I I, I record all my vocals by myself. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's weird. I got more shy as the older I got when it came to singing singing in front of people. Why do you think that is? Uh, because I because I sang, <laughs> Dookie t- in two days probably. Yeah, it was so. Uh, I I don't know. I just I think I was just wanting to get into a zone. That, yeah, where no one else was around. You can
0: get, oh, so you could probably be more open in a way.
1: Yeah, and then you know, obviously, like on the last record, I would kind of. You know, Rob would be in in the other room, and I would sing a, a couple of takes, and then I would say, "Okay, I think I'm ready, ready for you to hear some stuff." And oh, he okay. would come in, and he he would be like, "Oh my god, this is great! Oh my god, God, I love the way you're doing that part." You know? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that record was so huge,
0: and it seemed like I mean, I, you know, I mean, I know you talk about it, but how how does it feel? Because there was a time, I think in in what whatever you. Whatever form you're doing, you know, in comedy too, where the word sellout becomes this thing, mm-hmm. and you know, as you get older, you realize that's not really a thing. No, and but when you're younger, it's like it's it hurts.
1: I really kind of look at it from like the where we came from, being like San Francisco and Berkeley and, and paying Oakland. your dues, and and yeah. not really. Having the easy, there was no easy way about it. Oh yeah, yeah. We we came from like what we had already talked about. Yeah, it was. um, I think it was like like our scene in general. I I think if I lived somewhere else, like if I lived in like Boise, if we came from Boise, Idaho, like I don't think it would uh, had an effect on us. Yeah. But the fact that we lived in sort of like the you know the epicenter of progressive. People, yeah, that I think it was like it was a lot more like, you know, and then you have a club that's being run by socialist teenagers. Right. It's like people are going to call you out. Right. Or try to. Yeah. or And I think that we we dealt with it the best that we could. Um, uh, and it's like. You know, you. It's like I don't don't know. It's like why? Why do? What? What? I'm not Catholic. Why do I feel shame right now? Right. (laughs) You know. So it was like for taking an opportunity. Yeah. Because you didn't change your music. No. No. We just wanted to make it sound better. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think the weird thing is, I think a lot of it had to do with what Dookie did, and I think what kind of spread was you kind of Americanized a very specific punk sound. Yeah. And. And and then it, it became a thing. And I imagine people who attach themselves to that type of punk music had a a sort of punk ideology about things, or so they thought. But a lot of times, that just comes from people who aren't getting opportunities. It's easy to maintain your integrity when no one's offering to buy you out.
1: Right, right, (laughs) right. That's true. (laughs) What do you know? Your band sucks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And and so, you know, you had to carry the burden of that. I mean, you got flack from fucking Johnny Rotten.
1: Right, right. I mean, like, what is that? I don't know. I mean, alcoholism. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just
0: odd that people hold on to this thing that you know nothing evolves and and sort of kind of uh, uh, absorbs more than music. Yeah. So I mean, the fact that people can't and also you you know functionally because of your na- the nature of your songwriting and who your you know your heroes are and also the way you write songs. I mean, you like hooks. Yeah. And you like pop chords. Yeah. So that was always there. Yeah. And it's just that, you know, once you get an opportunity, because that's, you know, that music is more appealing than three chord yelling yeah. to a broader audience. And all of a sudden, those people are going to be like, oh, go fuck you. You know, fuck you.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is I, everything that we've always tried to do has always been pure at heart. You, yeah. know? As, you know, when it comes to melody, I would, that was what came natural to me. I And I loved it. I love melodic... I love melodies. I love melodic songwriters. I love No Matter What by Bad Finger. Fucking awesome Of course, song, you know? yeah. And, it's, uh, and pow, I love power pop. You well, know? that's...
0: Your whole drive is this uh, is awesome kind of um, combination of, of power pop and punk. I mean, it's yeah. a, the drive shaft of most of the stuff. Right. It always comes at you outside of the slower songs. But there's definitely a, a sound... But it—and it, it doesn't—but uh, because you're earnest, it it never gets old, really.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I hope—I that, mean, that's what we strive for anyway. But it's—you uh, know, as far as, like, you know, the—like, like, like we—I I do have to say that when we started playing, you know, our version of punk rock or yeah. punk rock in general, like— there was no road that was open that would take you to where the, where we are now. Right. Or, like, where, what happened with Dookie. Yeah. So, you know, it was... I mean, the closest you can come to is Nirvana, but we were very different from Nirvana. But it was... I think with... Um, you know, it's kind of like you had these—you have these heroes, and they're kind of like your dads, and they're like, "I'm really disappointed in myself. I never wanted you." <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I, Who were those people? Oh, that is kind of like I, you know, like Johnny John Lydon. I yeah. was. It was like that was the. I was like, he, he's like the kids he never wanted, or something. <laughs> the illegitimate children he never wanted. So it's, um, you know, it, it it is what it is. I, you know, I'm not. It's like. It it doesn't ever get in my way. Yeah. Well, know? that's good. I mean, that yeah. just that speaks to your uh,
0: focus, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's there are some times where you you get hard feelings or hurt feelings, and and it's just like, but it always goes away.
0: Well, yeah. Well, I mean, the the fuck the best fuck you is another big record.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or just keep going. Sure. You know. Well, I mean,
0: who did you like? Were there guys like? Did you have? Um, I mean, who taught you how to play guitar? Did you have like? You know, father figures in music.
1: Yeah, I had, um, there was uh, my guitar teacher in the, um, he was, um, this guy George Cole was an amazing player. Yeah. Um, He still plays to this day. He's played, it's like, like this, I don't know how you call it, but it's like this jazz and very uh, jangle Reinhardt kind of. Oh, really? Yeah. he's a little wizard? um, Yeah. Yeah. He he was great, but he sings and he, you know, it's like. Um, but anyways, he taught me, you know, how to get my hands on it and, uh, was teaching me like power chords and stuff like that. Yeah. And, but I never, I could, I never had the patience to learn how to read yeah, no, no. music. Yeah, I, yeah. I just was like, and, and so, you know, he would, he was funny. I would come in and he goes, did you learn what I was supposed to be out of the book? And right. I, I would say no. And he's like did you bring a cassette of the song you want to learn yeah. to play? And I go, yes. You know, he'd like, <laughs> he kind of blow his eyes and laugh, and then we he would, you know, he would, we would learn the song, he would te- and he'd teach me how to play the song right there, so he really was helping me be to, to, helping to have a an ear Sure. Visit, you and he
0: teach you a couple of pentatonic scales and stuff.
1: Yeah. Just let, but I man, I uh, just minor pentatonic. Yeah, you know? that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wish <laughs> I knew more. You yeah. know, I wish the thing. there's some of the, these guys. That's what I kind of got me off of metal because it was like it became kind of the guitar Olympics where everyone <laughs> you had. I'm like, I don't have time. To sit here and play guitar in my room until I get close to, yeah. anywhere close to Eddie Van Halen. Sure. So, but what I did notice about Van Halen is they wrote kick-ass songs. Yeah. But with melody and great, you know, and fun lyrics. And, and you knew you could do that. I, I felt that that came the most natural. For sure.
0: Well, now if you, have, if you look on, if you scroll through Instagram wheels, there are like 12
1: year olds who can play like Van Halen, and you're like, what oh the my, fuck is that? Dude, um, man, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. Like, I know. My son did it. Yeah. I didn't even know he was playing guitar. Like, I really didn't. And then all of a sudden one day, I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck, dude? You've been like holding out on me, <laughs> yeah. you know? And he's like, and, and it was great. It was, yeah. Yeah, he's a great guitar player. Really, he's better than me. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Yeah, so it's total surprise. I mean, it. You know, I always I have guitars like you have guitars laying around exactly the same. Yeah, and uh, and so they, so he picked it up, and you know he's in a really good band, and I wouldn't. I'm not just saying that. What's it called? They're called Ultra Q. Okay, and is the other one a musician too? um yeah he's kind of but he he's uh he's a drummer yeah um but he's kind of doing grown doing more grown-up things and stuff like that right now and yeah um you know we, he uh but he's a great drummer yeah you know we we all jam together oh yeah yeah oh that's cool yeah, yeah it was fun we d- we played um oh god what was it um it was a TV show, and like it was during COVID, so it was like I literally had another guitar player and a drummer. And we we're all in the same house. Yeah, and they happened to be my sons. Yeah. So, <laughs> it worked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but they're, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of them, and they, they, uh, they, re- they picked up on music, and, and, um, it's great. You can just have. It's nice to have someone you can talk to. Yeah. In the house about things that nobody knows what, how to talk to you about. Music,
0: you know, guitars,
1: yeah, stuff. You know, yeah. And just like, you know. Does din- he show
0: you stuff on the guitar?
1: Um, I watch very closely, but I never, I, can, <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah. You can't but, ask him? No, no, I mean, it's interesting because like the way that he plays, it's like kind of like... Um, it's just like more like strokes and interpol and uh, okay, yeah, yeah, and that kind of you know vibe where it's like intricate kind of guitar playing because he's got this other kid that plays with this kid Enzo that's in yeah. this band also. He who's a shredder, like, yeah, and they play off each other, you know, it's like they they have like their own way of weaving. So yeah. that,
0: like, sort of Tom Verlaine, yeah, val- right, yeah, oh wow. Yeah. That's a whole other thing.
1: Mm -hmm. I don't have the patience to learn how to play like that either. (laughs) I'm going
0: to start framing my lack of uh, musicianship on my lack of patience.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I just can't—I can't—like, I
0: don't even like learning other people's songs. Yeah, You know, I've got my blues scales, and I'll do my version of things, but I can't—I'm not going to sit there and figure out a lead that someone else plays, really. No. And and do it over and over again. Also, I don't play regularly. I imagine if you're playing every night— you know it's a little easier
1: yeah yeah i it's so funny i like not too long ago i I learned on YouTube how to play um this guitar solo for um crazy train but and I was like Randy Rhodes and, yeah and like I was so you know here I am like 51 years old and I'm patting myself on the back of the guitar solo I've been wanting to learn how to play since I was 10 <laughs> <laughs> you did it I did <laughs> it took me 40 years that it's I got a, it not only
0: uh, you know are you 51 but you're in one of the biggest bands in the world and you're like it's time to learn <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't be afraid my son <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can do it no one's gonna ride you for it you just do could you but did you remember it that's the hardest thing is you learn it and you're like I Got it, and if you don't play it for a couple of weeks, it's like fuck.
1: Yeah, well, I with my cover band. Yeah, the cover. Oh, okay. We we went in and jammed it one song, and like they were all kind of like slow clapping. Oh yeah, yeah, after, yeah, you know? yeah. So, uh, but we, I mean, I learned. To, I love playing. Like, uh, I love playing covers. Like, I you know, I. Well, love, those,
0: some of that Bob Stinson stuff's pretty cool. Oh, he was a great guitar. Great so guitar under, Underrated. I, it's like unbelievable. Yeah, that yeah. what he did in that band.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, and you could feel him missing after, you know. Totally. And, you know,
0: like. Because uh, they did a weird thing with rhythm and lead. They, they, kind, they did a little weaving themselves. But, I mean, Bob, that guitar melody drove all those songs.
1: Yeah, for she came, uh, and and then he would be like, on, you know, he would play guitar like his hair's on fire, too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the song that comes to mind is there that song Nowhere's my home that yeah. like, I love that guitar bit yeah. and um maybe Paul came up with it I you know you never know but it's definitely Bob and how you could just really like like you know it, yeah it's just he's a great guitar player so how did like cuz after dookie you kind of you, you're on a roll
0: you do a lot of big records and then by the time you get to American idiot to doing like you know a real concept record, but I, I guess you always saw it in terms of full records. You were not. Mm-hmm. That's just the way your brain works.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But how are you handling? Because I know you kind of came unglued at some point. But what what was it that fame specifically, or having a public life, especially now, and and at the at the level you have it? I mean, how did that
1: impact you? Like, from what's the arc of that? Um. I don't know. It's like – it's weird because you can have some really fun nights, night, nights out, you yeah. know, and when it's like – I don't live in L.A., so I live – I think that um, the Bay Area will keep you grounded whether you like it or not, That's you That's know? true. And then – but um, – you know, there's like you know you you, you get good seats at a uh, Oakland A's game, Yeah. You know? <laughs> but on the other side of it, 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 it it's. Uh, did you throw a ball out ever? I did once. Oh, good. I did, I did good too. <laughs> good. But I, I I um. There's also the you know the other side where it's like I, I don't. It's like like I don't like I like being invisible. Yeah. And you don't want to be want to be recognized or. Uh-huh. Or anything like that. So it's like the hard, like I, one of my favorite things to do is to like go and see like live music and things like that. Or, and it's like to feel like I have to lurk in the shadows of that. It causes a lot of, it's gives you anxiety, but you know, um, but it's weird that cause the fame thing was, is kind of when I, when I'm home, it turns off, Yeah. you know, on tour it, it, it's on because there's your audience literally right in front of you. Yeah. But um and then like, so like, you know, L.A. was like coming to Los Angeles and and that part of it where, you know, the, so many people are looking for their big break. Um, you know, it's I always was like, like, you know, it's fun to visit. It's like Disneyland and stuff like that. Sure. And I've learned to like Los Angeles more as I've gotten older.
0: But you don't think fame had that much to do with your, you know, unraveling? Unraveling. Uh,
1: what do you mean by un- unraveling? Well, I mean, like you know, w- with the building the
0: up uh, the drug issues and that oh, kind of stuff.
1: Y- oh yeah, I mean, I think like I I I get massive stage fright. Really? Yeah. Um, to this day? Yeah, yeah. The, it's the anticipation of all day going on and getting ready to go on stage uh, in front of like you know in, fr- in a stadium or something. Okay. Yeah, you know, I started. I think around the record after Dookie where I would get so nervous that like I started Insomniac. Insomniac I started drinking more. Um before shows. Yeah. And I and I'm like, Hey, that works. I did I'm just gonna keep doing that. Okay. You know? So that's when I, I started to uh it's just, and then I then I real, realizing like, well, I keep drinking after the show too. I'm drinking during the show. I'm drinking, you know, and it's just like, so it just <gasps> kind of happened. It just kind of, yeah. I mean, I used to smoke dope um, all the time, but I think like after I had uh, our first kid, I was just like I couldn't be high around him, right? So and then and then, but alcohol kind of, you know, I was um, also just like in my early twenties, so yeah. I was trying to do what. Like other guys, my age were doing at, yeah. the, at, at the time and but um but yeah, then the alcohol kind of just sort of became an issue and started start it started to uh, kick my ass
0: it changes your personality,
1: oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah we it's uh you uh you know i'm i'll I'll be fine for like a few drinks, and then some other guy starts to kind of <laughs> come into the picture, the angry <laughs> like, guy. Um, no, not angry. It's just like its i I start to turn into like everyone's um drunk, annoying uncle, oh yeah, 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 and then like um, and then uh and it can get really funny, and then it can get really fun, and then it turns in that where I can't switch it off, yeah, its just like i i I'll be up and like drinking until like four in the morning or something, so
0: it's just mostly alcohol,
1: yeah, there was other like human garbage can moments oh, where right. where there was drugs involved yeah. um but that's the thing i just like it's that thing like you know
0: you're fucked up like just, I, yeah. I,
1: I just want to keep going
0: yeah I can, yeah i can't shut it off but alcohol was the ground floor that was the uh, the base yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> and did, would, did, how bad did it get how did you get to the point where you'd wake up
1: and drink um, no, yeah. I, I wasn't wasn't like that. I mean, it, it, I, maybe I I started at lunch. <laughs> <laughs> at sound check, yes, be- <laughs> yeah, maybe around sound check, and you know, I had it kind of, but it, um, yeah, it was just, you know, I, I, I think some of my actions were getting just crazier and crazier, and um, publicly, yeah, publicly, there was things that started going down that were like. Um I would wake up the n- the next day and just blackouts oh that's the worst, yeah, so you had to
0: get a report
1: on i would get hear about it and and i me- i would start you you know, start feeling that shame and guilt and self pity and all that fun stuff were
0: the were the rest of the band yeah. concerned
1: uh I think a little bit from time to time, yeah, that um i I could hurt myself, yeah. Um, but not, um, but you know they, you know they they like to party, yeah. You know, and like I'm not going to get in their way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> you just went a little further.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just like you know, why are we getting kicked out of this place? Oh, Billy's on the bar. Oh, <laughs> yes, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So when did you get sober? I got sober in. 2012, I was sober for five years. Yeah. Um. And then I went out again uh, for Did a few- Did it get bad? Um. Yeah, it started, I was just like, I just feel like shit all the time. So yeah. 2017, you're like, you, you're back in it? I was back in it. Yeah. 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 Around 2017, yeah, yeah. I, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to have a beer, see what happens. Uh, and what know? happened? <laughs> it, it, it was fine for a while, Yeah. you know, and then- <laughs> It just st- steadily got like I was. a year back in your old ways, and and creeps up, right? Yeah, and it, you know I'm I'm older, yeah. and it hurts my body more, yeah. and, and like it was hurting me emotionally more, and you know my family more, and I was just like you know I got a fucking. Um, I don't know if how that is a way of coping with fame or anything like that. I do think like. Being in a band, there's a lot of downtime and there's a lot of like that celebratory atmosphere that, yeah. com- that comes with the success. You know, and I always tell people there's a fine line between celebrating and partying. Yeah. You know, it's like you're celebrating something, then something good is happening. When you're partying, something bad might have happened. And that's the reason why you're at where you're, you know.
0: But also just coming off a gig. Yeah. I mean, that, that energy, How you know, you got to deal with that. Yeah. That is because it's pure adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine it. Yeah. So that's interesting. So American Idiot and you were still pretty fucked up. Yeah, I drank a lot that, yeah. that whole time. And that was – do you figure – do you think that's the first time you really engaged – well, I mean, obviously it became quite a big thing with the Broadway show, but was that the first time where you felt political?
1: Yeah, that's the first I, – I, we had kind of dabbled – I, I tap, you know, in songs like on our first album, there was an anti-racist song. And yeah, I sang about sort of the you know different um, homelessness and, and uh, um, on a couple of other records. Yeah, and, um, and on the new one too, a yeah. little bit. Yeah. yeah, and and then I think American Idiot is when um, it, everything hit right at that time, and it yeah. was like um, there was something that i just wanted to push
0: yeah more. yeah and it, and that's a full kind of a w influenced concept record
1: um i wouldn't say w all the way it was um i think it was culturally what was going on yeah. it was like uh, i think that that was what he ended up doing was sort of set he kind of was one of the people that threw the seeds in that that like split the divide in the country yeah where suddenly it was either french fries or freedom fries right you know, either you're with us or you're that, with the yeah. terrorist. Yeah. That's a hell of a thing to say. Totally. Um, and I think um, yeah, that's kinda of, and then that's what like American Idiot started to become about. It's like uh and just also like the confusion of like not really like trying to process what is going on when when you're at and when your country's at war. Yeah. Um
0: and yeah. you were still pretty young, you, you, right? I mean, that was
1: thirty-two when that record came yeah. out. Yeah, yeah.
0: So it was still pretty vital. I mean, you were still had an audience of young people that you must have been aware of as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I even was talking to the band, my bandmates, and, of going, "Hey, I'm, <laughs> I, you know, no, I know, is, you know, we we all b- basically should be on the same team, you know, with this what I'm saying about, I mean," and they were like, "Dude, you're." You're able to say things in a song that I I have a hard time even t- speaking in a conversation. You oh, know? that's great. Yeah, it's so. good when you don't have one whack job in the band. Who, <laughs> right, right,
0: right. <laughs> the secret, the secret right wing guy. who yeah. you didn't really know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah the 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 cue saxophone player. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I talked to John Doe recently. I'm like, how are things going with everybody in oh. X? You know? Yeah. Because, you know,
1: a couple of them are kind of out there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've I've heard X-E-N's got some uh, uh, Let's Go Brandon kind of theories and stuff like that. They still sound great, though. They do. That last record was really good. They're doing another one. That's good.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but when you did American Idiot, did that give you a a different type of uh, confidence in songwriting around things that are specific? Because, you know, the new one... It's a little more existential. But, you know, that that bit you did during Trump was like that was pretty real, too. Was it father of all motherfuckers?
1: Um, yeah, I didn't. It's weird. Like father of all motherfuckers was sort of like uh, it it, it, it is Trumpy that that record. I kind of stayed away from politics because it was like it was low hanging fruit. It was more of a reaction. You just wanted to counter it. Well, I just I wanted to take my time because the country had become so weird, and like that was the first time I ever heard of like the alt right. Yeah, and you know uh, what's her name T- what's her name Tia Tequila like or like, you know yeah. like all that shit. I was like, what is going on? Right, and um, and hearing about like this sort of new kind of bro um, uh, neo Maga? neo neo Nazi yeah. part of it. Um, and like and the maga thing and and sort of it's like you're processing a cult yeah. and like you know so it took me this record to kind of figure out that division and how where i saviors you know, saviors yeah. yeah yeah so it's uh but like i mean with american idiot it was like everything was sort of there was like a new aesthetic for us i mean even like i would say even fashion um the way we were it's like like the music was starting to influence us as far as the way that you know the, me wearing a black shirt and a red tie and sort of these um really iconic imagery and stuff really? like that that yeah yeah that kind of like the wall ish yeah or something, but it was um um there was intent to it there was intent to it yeah. it's like and it was a, a kind of a way we, I wouldn't say re, we reinvented ourselves sure. but we we it was a time when yeah we reinvented ourselves and so. the broadway play was that a surprise yeah i was just up for anything and who know. approached you for that um michael Mayer, the director yeah he asked he hit hit my manager up and asked uh if we we're interested i said yeah definitely and so i met with him and we came up with a couple of different ideas and um he, we, we kind of all of a sudden. It's just like we went to the first rehearsals of it, and just it was a sit down, and people were singing, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is going to work!" Yeah, yeah. I bet you could never have thought that that would have happened. No, no. You know, you you. It's like you think about like how uh, the Who did Tommy? Yeah. Um, and which was like, you know, successful and yeah um and all you know these concept record, every everybody wants to have a sergeant pepper in them yeah, like, or a tommy in them or or whatever so it was like um i kind of just let that concept just keep going yeah 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 it was it was popular yeah yeah <laughs> it it didn't did and you really... were in the show a bit yeah i did i did a few months of it how uh, was that for you it's it was so funny i was like um there's this like one, I I felt it kind of, I'm like, am I an egomaniac right now? You mm-hmm. know, like there was this part, this sign or the, that, or uh, it was a, uh, that says it was like some play by George M. Cohen. Yeah. It was like written, directed, acting, but you know, it had like all of, he's did everything. And like, I was, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm a, am I George M. Cohen right now? You know? So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you have done a lot of stuff and he did some movie acting too.
1: A little bit. Yeah. I, I got the bug for it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Are you doing more? I don't know. I, you know, I, if, if, I think I'd like to, you know, if, um, if it comes up. Yeah. You know, I love doing like the, the independent. I did one film with this guy, Lee Kirk, and it's like an, I like doing something that was like independent. And, yeah. Yeah. And it just, I felt like that was more of my comfort zone or something.
0: And these last, I guess the last three records, I mean, what happened with, um, with Rob? You know, I mean, Revolution Radio—you guys produced. Yeah, we did that one ourselves. And then with "Father of All Motherfuckers," Butch Walker, because that "Father of All Motherfuckers" sounds different, on purpose. And it's like it, like every it's, it felt like a real risk. Yeah, and it, but it's all great. But I feel like there was a you know, it feels like you were able to engage a range that, as a band you didn't have before.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love garage rock stuff yeah you know and i really wanted to do like something like that was uh something that you it like a, a bunch of songs off of like um um the underground garage you know yeah so it was like um I, it's a I, you know i i wanted to make a grow up more of a garage rock record yeah. something that had a little more soul to it yeah um by meaning genre and uh, and then like you know, the song "Father of All," like it's one of my proudest songs I've ever written. Which one? The song "Father yeah. of All Motherfuckers," because yeah. it's like I went and just I did I did a falsetto, and I was like I didn't want to sound like me. Yeah, you know I. Yeah. I, um, you know, it's like uh, I, I guess I wanted to sound like like Prince's like illegitimate son or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you but you did it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, was it, was that by virtue of of, of uh, lockdown that you were willing to take these chances?
1: Well, it came out. It was before lockdown. It was. It all yeah. came out before lockdown. It, it came, Yeah, it came, Literally came out, and then it, I think like we had to start canceling shows immediately. So it was like. Oh, whole, so that
0: was a tour for that record that you went, you didn't get to do.
1: Yeah, there was no. Yeah, there 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 was really no record cycle. Are you doing that. songs from it on the road now? Um, I'm still writing that set list, uh, okay. but we, um, we, um, we, we didn't play any uh, of those songs on from uh, that the big tour that we were on Hell Omega But we, we, there were some small shows that we did, like we played some clubs, yeah. and, and we played a few songs off it, and it was it felt really gratifying because it was just like it's like it, it is like that what if record, for, yeah, it's like an outlier, for, yeah,
0: yeah. And then with saviors, I mean, it seems like you kind of contracted back a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. I it was like I didn't know whether I wanted to make like a like a sort of a three chord, you know, punk rock record like this the song um, "Look Mono Brains." Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then the American Dream is killing me. Was, yeah. Was written during. Um, in 2018 originally. Yeah. And, but, but we didn't want to be political. Right. You know, so I, I, I brought that song back out and it really fit. And then, and, and then, oh God, it was Saviors, the song. Yeah. Um, which was the one that was the first song I wrote, um, during lockdown. So it was like. It, which is more of this kind of big, lush kind of rock, it, yeah. stadium rock kind of sound to it. So big build at the end. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I like to, in Strange Days Are Here to Stay, like the acknowledgement of things being different after Bowie died. Yeah. Yeah. That's like an interesting observation because, you know, to a certain age or to a certain type of music lover, I mean, that was, it did feel like something was over forever.
1: Yeah. And it it just seemed like the world got stranger. Like, as, it was like we started losing a lot of great people. Yeah. You know, it was people like Prince. Yeah. And he's um, and still f- kind of like all of a sudden there's this sort of generation of great artists and great politicians like that were, you know. Uh, old. Old and yeah. just, you know. um, you know Ruth Bader Ginsburg like she it was yeah. like that was sort of the last fight where where it was like oh my god right before the election this is happening yeah it's like you couldn't have, it's like it was just so yeah that's where so the song was kind of about how like um and no one's stepping in
0: to the uh no, to the shoes no. and it doesn't seem like there any there's anyone that can
1: no especially if, like gen x generation i feel like we got kind of skipped over because, like, the boomers won't release power. Yeah, they,
0: they never let go.
1: Yeah. They, they're always in I, the way. Yeah, I mean, Mitch McConnell is, like, literally standing there catatonic in the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like... So it's, uh, you know, I mean, obviously I'm going to, you know, vote for whoever is going to be the Democrat. Yeah. But it's... um yeah, it's just it's just weird to see these old men kind of trying to hold on to 1950s ideas. Or just hide, holding on to power
0: that protects corporations
1: and yeah. keeps dividing
0: the culture in order to maintain the power. Yeah. Yeah. But, the, I mean, this, the new album's got, like, a lot of different types of songs on it. There's some real bangers and there's some thoughtful ones. and It yeah. feels like a whole record.
1: Yeah. No, I—, I um You know, there's uh, that song, and there's another song on there called uh, um, Corvette Summer. Yeah. That is this, like, kind of, I guess it would be sort of a cross between, it's like Cheap Trick and, and like, Bad Finger a little bit. Real Power Pop. Real Power Pop. And it's all about, I just want to go to the record store and get some new records and feel, it's like like feel normal or or do something that makes me like grounds you grounds me not like i I don't want to be sad i want something to distract my sadness yeah so um and good night adeline's good too that's a good thing yeah that's another song about just kind of depression um um you know trying to kind of you know kind of cry yourself to sleep nice hook though Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's, like, it's also kind of a, like a influenced by a lot of um, Brit pop, just going that direction. Yeah, yeah. I like it, man. It was great talking to you. Awesome,
0: man. It's good to talk to you. Thanks for doing it. Yep. There you go. Billy Joe, Armstrong, Saviors. The new record comes out this Friday. To see where they'll be on their global tour, go to greenday.com slash tour. Hang out for a second, folks. Hey, look, I'm sure you take a lot of vitamins. Maybe you take a daily multivitamin. Maybe you take ones to boost your immunity or ones to help with alertness. What about your cells? Are you giving your cells the full nutrition they need, especially as we age? I am, thanks to Solgar. Solgar is part of my daily routine, thanks to their cellular nutrition line. Give yourself a daily collection of nutrients designed to help fight cellular decline and promote cell health. Visit CellularNutrition.SoulGuard.com to learn more and use promo code Mark all one word, to get 20% off. Okay, look. On Thursday, Ed Begley Jr. is back on the show. The last time he was on was January thirteenth, twenty fourteen, almost ten years ago to the day. That was episode four sixty one. Now, why? You know, I'm a I'm a comedy store guy. Why is your uh, name on the wall of the oh, comedy store? I, I've left out a, a major chapter. I started a uh, a comedy,
2: a stand up comedy career back in nineteen sixty nine with a partner by the name of Michael Richards. We had a duo, uh-huh. and we worked like at the Like the tru- Michael Richards? The Michael Richards from Seinfeld and uh-huh. what have you. And we had a duo, and we played at the Troubadour back in... Nineteen sixty nine, and Doug Weston wanted to sign us to a contract and what have you. So you're
0: opening for musical acts. We were. That's. I mean, a lot of like I'm finding this out. You know, before the store opened, and really officially in what seventy two, seventy three. We were one. We were there the week that they
2: opened. Me and Michael Richards. Which, when it was Sammy still, opened, Sammy it? Uh, still owned the comedy store, right? So Sammy's. Uh, so
0: Bursky was parking cars or something. Or I don't remember,
2: but uh, yeah, Sam. It was Sammy's
0: place, right? So, but before that, there was no real venue other no. than opening for musical. Open- exactly
2: like steve martin as well and richard pryor and other people and lily tomlin other people the troubadour the or the ice house michael and i never got any opening act gigs he went off and joined the military so i was on my own so i did a single and i started to get bookings at the ice house and i would open for jennifer warrens and i would open for uh oh god i opened for loggins and messina and and at the troubadour i also opened for um uh, Neil Sedaka and Don McLean. Don McLean kind of discovered me at the Troubadour, and because of him, I went and I would occasionally open for him and open
0: for other acts. Uh. Well, that's interesting. So, that, so, well, oh, who else? So, Cheech and Chong was also the big success. Oh yeah, story. they yeah, were the huge tr- then. It, it was sort of fascinating to me that they were made by the music industry. I mean, there was no comedy club, so all these music execs would be at the Troubadour because they had acts there, right? And and so Hollywood would come in. It was Hollywood was a much more intimate environment. At it that was, time. it was like, you know, you could go to Tana's, you could go like these places were the places and it wasn't all spread out. And then the business was intimate. So you could actually be at a place and someone could see you, and it could change your life. Exactly. And it did for many people. You can listen to that full episode ad free with the WTF Plus subscription. Go to the link on the episode description to sign up. And while you're there, you can click on the link to send me a question for the next Ask Mark Anything episode. There you go. Here's this. Not a Les Paul Jr. Stratocaster. Monkey and La Fonda. Cat angels everywhere.